So over the past few weeks, and it's wonderful when Keir came, I was really blessed by his ministry too, but he seemed to pick up on the theme that we've been talking about, and that is about this vertical and horizontal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Our primary relationship with, with, is with him, with God the Father, God the Son, and the, God, the Holy Spirit. But out of that relationship, we have a vertical one with each other. And um, we cannot do this if we don't have that. And if we have this and we don't do this, there's no, really no point other than for ourselves. And it's amazing, if you look at that vertical and the horizontal, it looks like a cross. And that's what Jesus uh, died on, speaking to his father, but also ministering to the thieves on the cross next to him. And one of them repented, and he said, in fact, that he would be in heaven with them um, that day. Isn't that amazing? Even on the cross, Jesus was reaching out to people and so on. And... um, And so we've been looking at the outward focus. We're going to change that a little bit and look at the inward focus a little bit. Um, But um, I want to thank you all and all the home groups for people that are stepping up and starting to reach out and use the gifts that they have and use uh, the tools that they have to, to share the love of God. You know, as I said before, a, a, um, a snow shovel in the hand of a young man knocking on the door of a person that's too old to, to um, shovel the snow in, in the winter is a gift from God. So even a snow shovel or an axe, chopping wood or whatever it is God has given you, we know that um, going back to, to Moses, and you, if you've been here uh, for a while, you would have heard this, how God used a stick in the hand of Moses to deliver a nation. He said, God, what do I have? And he said, what you got in your hand? And he said, it's a stick or a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. And with that stick, God parted the Dead Sea in the hand of Moses, um, brought water from a rock to to, um, quench the thirst of over a million people and so on. So don't be... be, overwhelmed about the bigness of being a witness for Jesus Christ. We so often, we make it so much harder than what it is. And so we have many people coming with amazing ideas and uh, getting to the office. And so uh, I had a chat to Joy. Do you want to stand up and come here and say uh, hi for a second? I'm afraid to give Joy the microphone because, uh, no, I'm teasing. She's an amazing lady. But uh, I've asked Joy to become the outreach coordinator for us so that with all these ideas, with working with the food bank, working with the Salvation Army, uh, reaching out to, to the elderly in the city, and uh, instead of having all of these loose ends, Joy is going to be the focus. She'll work with Russ uh, and in uh, administrating this. The Lord gave me, good morning, Oceanside. <laughs> The Lord gave me a message when I went to the Congo. He said, I'm just sending you to bring compassion back to your land. And the people you see on the street with faith in the Congo, you have those people in your land. They're called homeless. They have faith. That's what gets them up in the morning. But they're missing the gospel, just like the people you saw in the Congo. You have it right here in your land. And he said, I'm calling you and all of us face to face 
We have internet, we have electronics, but he said, I want to know your heart. And I want you to come face to face. And whether it's a shovel or a garbage bin or it's handing food out, I'm calling you outside of the walls of the church to the people of your land. Lord, what does that mean? He said, Joy, I'm calling you to create pathways such that people can use their Christ-anointed gifts in the most simple ways to reach the people of our land. It's time. So we are going to create the highways and the byways, but what we need is your heart and a little bit of your time. But in front of other people who need hope and the gospel. Fantastic. Great. We heard from uh, Loaves and Fishes, um, who we're helping today again, uh, that it's, the issue is not about getting food. Our people and the city and this nation is tremendously um, generous, but the issue is getting the food to, into the hands of the people that need it. Many of them can't drive to Loaves and Fishes and so on. And so we want to create uh, a place where we have people that can even just deliver food to the poor. Isn't, wouldn't that be an amazing thing to do? To make sure that everybody in the city is loved and cared for. Uh, we have um, people that work in nursing homes here, and there's so many opportunities to minister in those places. And um, so Joy's going to be the, the point for that. So if you have any good ideas or you're wondering where, what you can uh, do or get involved in, she's the one. And she'll point you in the right direction. And one thing I know about Joy is she more than likely will keep you accountable to what you say. So good job, Joy. Yeah. So I'm um, looking at the outward focus. We're going to look a little bit at the inward focus. But I want to tell us and remind every single one of us that none of us are here in Nanaimo in this space and time by accident. It might have been circumstances that brought you here. It might have been the beautiful island. It might have been a job. It might have been uh, you, that you were born here. But we see this in Acts 17. Paul is on Mars Hill, and we're going to look at the 1726 to 27. But God brought us here for a purpose. And Paul lays this out. He's on Mars Hill. He's speaking and debating the philosophers up there, and he sees a, a stone uh, with the caption to the unknown God. Uh, in there, and he starts explaining who that unknown God is, the God of heaven and earth. But in verse 26, he says this, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them. You're not here by accident. No baby born today or in the womb is, is here by accident. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And he determined, we think uh, we determined, but God directs us, and he determined the exact places they should live. And God did this so that, and I'm going to put this in there, so that through every single one of us, you and I, they would seek him, the people around him, and they would perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far 
from any one of us. I love that word that perhaps seek him because our job is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in both word and deed. But we are not responsible for that, that person's salvation. They are. But what we do through word and deed and sharing the love of Jesus Christ is create an atmosphere and soften a heart where the seed of God, the word of God can take root and then somebody else comes and waters it and it begins to grow. And it's a, it's a process. I had a tremendous opportunity uh, two Thursdays ago to lead uh, a man to the Lord that um, has absolutely no biblical context, nothing at all, knew nothing about the Word of God, has grown up in Canada, never been in church and all of that, and it was extremely refreshing to see the transformation in this man's life. Now, yeah, he's on a journey, and um, as I said to him, it can take us 20, 30 years to get into the situation we're in, and God can forgive us all of that, but there's consequences of the outworking of our lives, and that's where we come in, to walk beside people, to love them, to care them, because when, when they are strong and I'm weak, when you're strong and I'm weak, I need you, but hopefully when I'm strong, I can help you, and that's how the body of Christ should work uh, and does work, and God did this so that through you, they would seek him and perhaps find him and reach out to him, though though he is not far from any one of us, and if you've been here for a while, you'll know that the heart of Oceanside, this church is simply this, to know Jesus and to make, and I've put in here the Jesus we know, known to others. You see, there's a big difference between knowing somebody as a person, but to truly know and then truly knowing them. You know, Elias Patterson is... Uh, the flavor of the, the year in BC at the moment, and uh, I, my son-in-law speaks about him all the time and was at the game yesterday and tell me how well he played and all of that kind of stuff. So we all know him, but we don't really know him. I don't know what he likes to eat. I don't know what he likes to do. I don't know what his ambitions are. I don't know any of those things. And many people, in fact, in the world, I'd be surprised if Uh, if um, there are many people that haven't heard of Jesus Christ. So the knowing Jesus is when we have a personal relationship with him, when we spend time with him in in his presence and and, uh, in our, our time of daily devotions, meditating on his word and so on. And it's that Jesus that we know that we give out. We cannot give what we don't have. So it's that inward relationship is so important, that vertical one with God, because it's out of the abundance of the heart. God wants us to begin to speak into the lives of others. Amen? And we do this, and this is the mandate of this church, by being a gathering We'll go over this over and over. Every time we come uh, together, there are new people either looking in or wanting to know who we are. And it's good to remind ourselves, even in 
preparing this to gather people. This is what we do today. We are gathering people. And why? To inspire them and encourage them to pray for them so that they can go and be the hands and feet of Jesus out there. So gathering is extremely important. But church was never meant to be an event, a Sunday event. Being a Christian is a lifestyle, it's not an event. And this is where we come, and it's important that we do this. The book of Hebrews chapter says that we're not to neglect the gathering of the saints, but we are to encourage one another all the more as we see the day appearing. So this is a time when we come and we've been in the world and things might have gone extremely well, but they may not have gone so well, um, and so on. And we come here, and some are going to be Uh, really excited about what God is doing, and others just need a hug and to be comforted and encouraged. So this is a place where we want to put courage in you. This is a huddle between the periods. This is a time we come to be refreshed, and it's extremely important. I can't tell you, sadly, how many people I've sat down over the years uh, that have said, listen, I just want to take a break from church. And I tell most of them the same thing. Well, well, after they tell me three months or so, I'm just tired of six months. I can't tell you how many of them never ever go back to church. It's like they drift away. Paul says many have drifted away from the faith. So what does drifting mean? It's like you, you're in, a, in a, a sailboat and you're in the harbor and uh, you forget to put the anchor down and you go to sleep. And before you know it, without even knowing it yourself, but you wake up in the morning and you have no idea where you are. You've simply drifted away. And that's what happens. We drift away from the faith. Leave, moving, most people that, um, that no longer um, come to church or serve God, it wasn't an event either. It was a drifting away. And God is wanting to call us back so that we can be anchored in Him. And um, so I want to encourage you, coming together in connect groups or in your homes and praying together is there so that you can put courage in them and they can put courage in you. You know, one can uh, chase a thousand, the word says, but two can chase 10,000 and so on. So we are gathering church, a healing church. Many people come into the body of Christ, and unfortunately, the church has hurt them. The church has done them wrong, um, had misrepresented Christ. And and if we look in the mirror, each one of us more than likely have done that to somebody, sometimes knowingly and others unknowingly. It's part of life. We are not perfect But many people need healing, physical, emotional, relational. And we want to be a place where people come and where they're not judged for where they've been or what they've done, but where they loved and put back on track with Jesus Christ. And I pray that we continue to be that person. But then we want to train people. We have a Bible school, as you saw, and all of the, the, the um, lectures are online, it's a very, uh, uh, and you can watch them. But to equip God's people for works of service, how-tos, how do you walk out this life? 
And so that's important. But, and we do all of those really well. How many of you would say that Oceanside does that really well? Well, I do. <laughs> A few of you. That's good. That's good. But I think the next step is something that God wants us to grow in more and more. And that's the sending part of it. The sending part. You see, Kirsten's something amazing. And this is why I thought it'd be good for us to look at this vertical um, relationship again. That revival begins in the heart of each one of us. That's where it starts in every single one of us. You see, in order for us to bring life to others, we need to be ministering out of the overflow of what God is doing in and through us. Bob Mumford, he's an old uh, preacher, old-time preacher, word of faith guy, um, but a, a, a wonderful man, and uh, he's passed away. And he says, this is called the law of mumps and measles. What does he say like that? If I've got measles, and you see me, and I give you a hug, and he says, hey, what's, and you say, what's wrong with me? And I say, you know what, I've actually got mumps. What are you going to get, what I said or what I got? Hey, bro, I thought you said you had measles. Uh, yeah, I did, but now I've got mumps. <laughs> and that's the thing with people. That's why we've got to love them. That's why we've got to lay our lives down for each other. And it needs to start in here. It needs to start in here. That's why community is important. Because if we can't get it right here, how are we going to get it right out there? Amen? Amen. It's out of the overflow. So I want to focus now a little bit on our personal relationship with God. And these are simply reminders that we have heard over and over but in speaking to so many people and, and meeting with so many people, the biggest thing that hinders people from going forward is their past. The biggest thing that stops us. And God wants to set you free. God wants to set us free. When Jesus died on the cross and he, he was there and he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. What does it mean that his life was finished? It means that his task was finished. And that task was to take upon himself the sin of the world. For he knew that we couldn't save ourselves. And when we come to Jesus Christ, our sin past, present, and future was paid for on the cross. Does it mean we don't need to repent when we sin? But Jesus died once and for all. And it was finished on the cross. And God wants us to be free. The word of God says it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. God wants a relationship with you that will sustain you through the highs and the lows of life, through the valleys and the mountaintops. My favorite psalm of all psalms is Psalm 23. 
Many of you would know it. We, and and in, uh, when I grew up, we had religious education in schools. It was compulsory a few of those psalms to learn, and that was that, that God leads us beside still waters, that he's my shepherd. But he also leads us through the valleys, sometimes even through the valleys of the shadow of death. But the word of God says, and I will fear no evil. Why? Because I don't walk through those trials alone. I have Jesus Christ with me, Christ in me. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And often these things, we want them to go away. But sometimes in those deepest places are our closest times with God. It's interesting that we love the mountaintops. It's beautiful, but the rivers flow in the valleys. The rivers are found in the valleys. And I know many of you have gone through those, and Deborah and I have gone through our fair share of trials and tribulations. And while she's in intensive care those many times fighting for her life, I would be sitting in waiting rooms with people without hope. Same situations, same situations, but no Jesus Christ in their lives. And it would give me opportunity just to speak to them. And some would respond well and some would be angry and so on. But the one thing I took about from that whole journey, that he was with me. He never left me or forsook me. And you see, Peter says to this church scattered in, you know, around the world under persecution, 1 Peter 2 uh, one Peter, first and second Peter, speaking and encouraging a church under tremendous pressure, persecution. And he says in one Peter one, I think about eight or nine. He says, "For you are receiving the goal of your faith, and that's the salvation of our soul." You see, no matter what happens on this earth. These light and momentary afflictions, Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And we need to be reminded of that. So even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil, for he is with us. Now you go and think of the multitudes that Jesus saw, the multitudes, and he had compassion on them. And as he looked at Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Lost. We wonder why people turn to sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all of that. It's not just temptation. They're looking for something, a way out. And we can't change everybody's life, but we can change the lives of the people that God puts in front of us if we just have compassion. It's interesting. Religious people ran away from Jesus, and the so-called sinners ran to him. Why? Because they saw in his heart something they wanted. They saw compassion. And do you know the best thing you can use as a witness to others is your story. And we're going to look at Paul's story a little bit later if I get there. This is what he writes. 
in 2 Peter 1, 2 to 3. He writes this, Peter, to this persecuted church. Brace, grace and peace are yours in abundance. But it comes through, and I put them in it, through our knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The more we know Jesus Christ, the more we will understand his, his unconditional grace for us. The more we'll understand that we did not deserve what we have. We did not receive our salvations. And we as Christians need to, as we look out that door and the people hurting there, that we were like them one day. But if we have this knowledge of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that revelation was with us daily, but by the grace of God, there go I. And that compassion fills our heart because that compassion Jesus poured out on us, whether we struggled or we didn't. We are all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory. And grace and peace in abundance comes. The more we know God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we understand what he did for us, the more grace and the more peace we have in the midst of the storms. God never promises once to take the storms away. He can and he does. But I think it's Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fires, you will not get burnt. For I am with you and I've summoned you by name. You might get singed a little bit along the way. You might uh, come out looking a little bit half-baked. But he is with you. And if you understand that, Yes, God can and does change those situations. It gives you grace and peace in abundance. The transcendent peace of God, Ephesians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything is a big word. I can be anxious about the fact that I might not get to the coffee machine before they close down. I'm joking. (laughs) But there's some things that are easy not to be anxious about. But there are some things that make us anxious. Our children, our families, sickness, trials and tribulations. So anything is not just for the little anxious things. They cover everything. Anything you are dealing with, God says... Come to me. Do not be anxious, but in everything, every little thing, it might, you might think it's too small for God to worry about, and you might think God's not big enough to deal with it because it's too big, but anything with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then, Allow the peace of God that transcends our natural understanding, the transcendent peace of God, the shalom of God. Go and read that word. Write down shalom and look it up. It's not, hey, peace, bro. It's wholeness. It's wellness. It's strength. It's protection. 
the peace of God that transcends our understanding begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And sometimes nothing's changed, but you just know that you've entered into a different realm of transcendent peace. And it's a beautiful thing, and that is open to all of us. God, we are wanting our circumstances to change, but often God is wanting our circumstances to change us. It's a process of transformation that we're going through. And then in verse 3 of this, um, this 2 Peter 1, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. How powerful is God? So what is the key to tapping into that divine power? It's through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Peace comes through our knowledge of God and Lord Jesus Christ and the ability to go through what we go through comes through him too. And the more we know him and the more we fall in love with him, the more we'll be able to transcend these situations. And you see, when we do that, the amazing, beautiful thing about it is that we can help others through the same circumstances by our testimony. Daniel's 11.32, amazing little caption here, little scripture. Those who know their God. Two things, not know of God, everybody knows of God. Some don't believe him, some do. But know their God. He's a personal God. He's your God. He loves you. Matthew 5 or 6 tells us not even a hair on a head falls without the Father knowing about it. He's your God. And he wants to know you. When, you know, when we worship God, it's an amazing thing. We, we come together like this as a group and we're worshiping God. But to me, God is a God of an audience of one. He looks down at each one of us. Each one of us. And he says, I want you to know me. I want you to know how much I love you, how much I care for you, what I did in sending my son to die for you. I don't care what you've done yesterday. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how you messed up you are. I love you. And you look at the apostles. All 12 were persecuted, 11 martyred, And John, the apostle Jesus loved, after the revelation of Jesus Christ, was persecuted on the Isle of Patmos and died a lonely death. That's not the prosperity gospel. But what did they have? What did they have? They knew their God. They knew him. They would not deny him. They knew him. And so this internal, this personal relationship, if we come in, we, and in a sense, and I can do it in leading the church and all of hide behind the church, is God says, I want time with you. I want time with you. 
I want to look into your face. I want to hear and, and walk you through those things. God, please change everything. Well, maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying he can't. But what is that God is dealing with in my life? The refiner's fire. The refiner's fire. You know, when they, they take gold and, and so on. And I've been in a gold mine coming from South Africa. And, um, and they have this uh, open mine in, in Johannesburg where you can go and actually watch how they refine gold. Don't stick your hands in your pockets or anything because you might not get out there. You gotta walk like this. I have no gold in my pockets. But the first thing that happens, one of the things, is this black stuff, sludge, comes to the top. It floats on the top and they skim it off. It floats on the top and they skim it off. It's refining that. It's refining that gold. And God wants to refine us to such a stage that he can actually see his reflection in us, that people can see that. And that's where God is wanting to take us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I felt that God wanted to remind us of a few things. That his true blessings are not physical, but spiritual. He blesses us physically. Let me tell you, living in Canada and being in this warm place and everything we do have here and all of that is enough blessing. We are more blessed than 95% of the world. And that's not to make us feel guilty. That's to make us feel thankful. 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 Now, I was born in Zimbabwe, and yeah, there's my, hey, there was, stand up, my, my, sis, my sister. Go and stand up there. Come on, oh, you are standing. <laughs> We're both born in Harare, cousins, I think. And by God's grace, and our friends and pastors, and I, I, I go there, and we, Deborah and I try and support them. They don't live like we do. And I can't feel guilty about that. But I can feel thankful and try and help those less fortunate. And that's the thing about outreach. That's the thing about reaching out. If you are feeling, well, God, where are you in my life? Go and find somebody else less fortunate. And you'll quickly be thankful. I go to Zimbabwe. It's, a, it's, it's pitiful. Congo. And I'm not one of us go, don't come back and want to kiss the ground when we land. Not physically, you can't get off the planes like that anymore, but you know what I mean? And God just wants us to share that with others. But the blessings he gives us are spiritual. And I'm going to just go through this quickly. Just one of the blessings. 
Verse 3, Ephesians 3. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a lot of blessing. But it's not the prosperity gospel blessing. Yes, God can give us a new home, a new car, and all of that, and and so on. But one day, when we pass away, we're not going to have a U-Haul full of stuff behind us when we go to heaven. That's going to be strangely dim, and nobody will care. It'll all be left behind. The blessings that God gives us is this, and I just want to point out one, and maybe we'll pick up with him again. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely, holy and blameless in his sight. Just put you, let that sink in. God chose us before the foundation of the earth, before we had an opportunity to earn his pr- approval. God chose and loved us, and the ones who chose him, he made holy and blameless in his sight. Not only going to theology, but there's a, there's a whole theology on the sovereignty of God and all of that, that because God chose, knows who he chose, we don't have to share the gospel, because what's the point? He knew. But I tell you, for me, I say, and this, I, I, I don't want to fight with anybody theologically, but I, rem, I felt this when I was reading that, say, God, you say you love the world, and you gave your, holy, your only begotten son for the whomsoevers, for anyone who will believe would not perish, but eternal life. And I felt I had this picture of this divine romance with God. It was an amazing thing. It was years ago, and you may have heard this here before. But it was an incredible thing because, and it took me back to when I met Deborah. She's in Sunday school and, and leading the Sunday school, so she's not up here as much as she'd like to be, but she does love it down there, so don't feel sorry for her. <laughs> But when I met Deborah, I kid you not, it was love at first sight. Crazy. I was a surfer dude, hanging with my mates, met Deborah, just like that. And I pursued her. And if one day I told my mate that I wanted to marry her, and I can only tell you what came out of his mouth, we weren't saved but it was a few bleep, bleep, bleeps and what you want to do that about and all of this. We're having so much fun. We're surfing. We're doing this, running amok. But something shifted in my heart. And one day, I had the guts to ask her if she would marry me. Now, she could have said yes or no. Not so. She could have. It's illegal to, to ask somebody to marry you with a gun at their head, just so that you know. It's not the right way. Will you marry me? She was like, and she said yes. And we got married 35 years later, wonderful children, serving God together, and all of that. But what happened there? And I want to see if you picture this, like I'm like in this 
I'm not God, you know that, but I'm like here. So I come to Deborah, I choose her. And she has an opportunity to respond to my choice. She can say yes or no. So God chooses everybody. He loves the world. From the foundation of the earth, he had a plan to send Jesus Christ to, for the whole world. John three sixteen. Anyone. There's only one door, but anybody can go through it, and that's Jesus Christ. And by her choosing me, she became my chosen one. Can you see that? If she had said no, then she wouldn't be my chosen one. And maybe I'd be a bachelor for the rest of my life. I don't know. But can you see that? The gospel is for everyone. He chose us. He made man in his image, sinless. And in the garden, man fell. And through that process, man walked away from him. But his always cry from even the garden, Adam, Adam, where are you? So every single one, God wants to have an opportunity to choose him. We cannot be responsible for whether they do or not. We can make it easier for them because like I've said before, we cannot even save ourselves. And I'm gonna finish on that because I wanted to go to this. When we are saved, we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new is, has come if anyone is in Christ, brand new. The problem is the consequences of sin follow us. Forgiveness and consequence are two different things. So I've had an addiction or something like that and I get saved. Just God can break that right now. We can pray and he can do that. But often we have to walk through the consequences of that as a saved person, forgiven for that sin. If I steal something from a shop and I go before the judge and I say, yes, uh, I stole it and I confess it, and he says, okay, well, six months in jail. I say, what the heck? Why are you doing that? Because you stole something. Yes, you're pardoned, but you have to do the time. After six months, you can go free. And so consequences, changing lifestyle, and that's why we need each other. But what happens, the enemy uses those things in our past as if they happened today. And he constantly reminds us of them. And every time we want to step out for God, he says, you no good, you this, you worthless, look what you said, look what you did, and all of this, and we shrink back. And we get back into our closets or into our sphere of influence, and we don't reach out. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We've been forgiven and set free. And if we're going to change this world and we allow the enemy to trash talk us, well, what do you know? I tell you what, those very things you did will become stepping stones to your future. 
If you've had an addiction, if you've been divorced, if you've gone through abuse or anything, guess what? That can be a stepping stone for you to recognize it in others and help them through it. And your healing will come by you helping them. Your healing will come instead of saying, I can't do this because I know what it's like to be an addict or an alcoholic. I know what it's like. God has set me free. Now I want to help you. I want to take you by the hand, and I want to bring you through this process. I want to use my, my stuff. As, instead of st- stumbling blocks, they'll become stepping stones. And there's a great apostle with the name of Paul. He was a killer of Christians at one stage. He gave approval to Stephen, the first martyr's death. Now, before we're too hard on Paul, let us just understand that he was a Jew of Jew and a Pharisee of Pharisees. And anybody that served a foreign god would be stoned to death. Should be. So to Paul, before he met Christ, Christians, the apostles, were drawing Jews away from the one God to another God. Can you see that? So he was trying to, in his mind, save them by persecuting the ones that were sharing this to him false religion. Well, on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And through that, a radical transformation of his life. He got saved. And he went back to the very people that he hurt. He went back to them to share the gospel. Then he went to the Gentiles. And he spent his life serving Jesus Christ. But near the end of his, his life, he writes this to Timothy. I want to tell you something about Timothy. Timothy was his true son in the faith. He loved this young man. He loved him. And he's writing these letters shortly before his death to Timothy. And he says this in verse 1 Timothy 1 from verse 12. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful in appointing me to his service. Even though, listen to this, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. As he's looking back, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst, he said. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Lay down his life. Planted churches. You see, he saw what he was and he said, but the grace of God. 
by the grace of God, I am what I am. And if we're going to take the city, we cannot live in this place of condemnation. We have to forget that which is behind and press on to take hold of what Christ has done. And we can make a difference. And I tell you, if you fall tomorrow, you get in your car and you're on your way to work and, and things go run awry and you say, oh, I can't do it today. Who's won? Say, God, I'm so sorry. You've already forgiven me, but I want to repent. You see, Hebrews 10 says that we are cleansed from a guilty conscience. And this is a crazy thing. You see, Jesus paid the price for our sin, past, present, and future. If you don't believe that, well, you hadn't even been born when he paid for your sin. So that was in the future. Not so? He did that. But when we confess our sin, 1 John says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Hebrews 10 says that we come through a new and a a living way into the holy of holies and our heart is cleansed from a guilty conscience. Why? Why is that when repentance is for us, Repentance is a fact that when I give it to God, my conscience is cleared. Sorry, Dad, I did that. I made a mistake. And when I do that, it's cleansed from our conscience because the thing that will stop you witnessing, the thing that will stop you coming to take communion, the thing that will take, stop you from going into the Holy of Holies is your conscience where the enemy says, you just did that. You're not worth it. How can you speak to somebody? You were an addict yourself and now you think you can save these people. You've done that. No, God has forgiven me and he's cleansing me and taking that away so like, that, like Paul, that can become a stepping stone for our future. Can we bow our heads? Sorry, it's a maybe a bit, I say that every week, but I hope you hear, church, that God loves you so much. I hope you hear that there's no future in your past, no matter what you've done. That God has forgiven you. Just confess it to him. Ask him to cleanse you, to forgive you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. I know As a pastor, there's so many people hurting here, Lord. Some never deserved it. And some of us have lit our our own fires, Lord God. But you're the same God. And I pray, Lord, you just begin to sprinkle the water of the Holy Spirit. And to cleanse us. To soften our hardened hearts, Lord. People may have heard us, the church may have heard us, but Lord Jesus, you never left us or forsake us. And I pray for ones today that have wandered away from the faith, that you will draw them back by the power of your spirit. Even now, Lord Jesus, 
that you're calling the prodigals home. You love them. You want to put a clean cloak on and a new ring on their finger. You want to celebrate them, Lord. Lord, I pray for the ones that do not know you as their Lord and Savior at all, that they will know today, might not understand it, that you love them and you've chosen them and you're wanting them to choose you. Lord, I pray for us, Lord God, that often are hindered by condemnation of our past, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that we will see that as finished and that like Paul, instead of hindering us from going forward, will spur us on to love and good deeds. Spur us on to take ground for the kingdom. I pray your blessing upon this community. I pray your blessing on every life-giving church on this city and this island, Lord. Every Christian that declares your name, Lord Jesus. We're different conversations, but there's only one body, Lord, and may we honor each other, Lord. And we pray for our city, Lord. I pray for harvesters, including myself, to be bold enough to reach out to the ones around us. That we will see your kingdom come, Lord. That your will be, will be done. That Canada, Lord God, this precious nation will sense your presence and there will be a revival as promised and prophesied from sea to sea. We declare that over this precious nation. We thank you, Lord God, that you're not finished with that. You've only just begun. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds, church, and glorify the Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you so much. Thank you for coming. I know there's a lot there. But uh, next week we have an amazing testimony from a couple that have been through some fires themselves. And they're going to tell us their story. Please bring your friends.